Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. It's 2023. Welcome to the new year. I hope you were able to spend some time during the holidays, both relaxing and also preparing for the new year. I've been doing a little bit of that myself. I was able to spend time with my family in Tennessee for the holidays and to cook my first Christmas meal for my entire family. My son, my brother, his children. It was a wonderful time and I'm very grateful for that and also to have the history and the heritage that I have in my family. And while I know not everyone maybe was able to celebrate the holidays either the way they want to or maybe those times are stressful for you, but I hope that you were able to take some peace and prosperity into the new year. For today's episode, I wanted to try something a little different. It's pretty much off the cuff. Hopefully it'll be a short episode. But as I've been thinking over the last week of kind of downtime and relaxation about 2023 and beginning my goal setting process, I've really been focusing in on what it truly means to be an impact maker. That's what I'm building my brand around and wanting to help you in your life to be more of an impact maker, both at work and in life. What does that actually mean? And funnily enough, I was going through today, it's January 1st as I'm recording this, going through a bag of papers that I had been carrying around for a while and finally just stuffed in a corner of my office of paperwork that I had brought home from my family home after my mother passed away in December of 2020. So if you remember, that was COVID times. It was kind of unexpected that she passed away. It wasn't from COVID, but it was... uh, confusing and both delightful and stressful time. So I'll go ahead and say if 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 you don't want to hear about both the death of a parent and maybe some things that might trigger you, if you don't want to hear me talk about my faith and the faith of my family, then maybe this episode you can skip past and go on to next week where we'll talk more about being an impact maker. But if it interests you to learn a little bit about maybe the person who has made the biggest impact on my life. Some of the things that I found today while going through all these papers, of course, I've seen them before, but like a lot of things, we stuff them in bags to deal with another day. And today I made some new piles to put things in to deal with another day. But I thought I'd share with you a little bit about my mom. Her name was Peggy Hurst Johnson. She died at the age of 83. And I have told people, just told someone last week, was sharing with a friend who also lost a loved one in 2020, that I don't have hurt or pain around her passing because I truly believe she was living her best life at the time of her death. It was not a prolonged uh, situation. She was joyful. She was ready. And both my brother and I were able to be with her when she passed away, holding her hands so it was a, a positive experience as, as much as one of those experiences could be. But I, I think I'm able to carry that into the future, those good memories of my mother and of her life and of the impact that she had on me because of how she lived her life. So I thought I'd share some of that with you today. Also, in bringing my family together for Christmas and some family friends kind of joked with them about the fact that I was asked to give the the eulogy at her 
funeral service, which if you'll remember, I'm a professional speaker, so that should have been a home run for me. It actually was not. (laughs) It went south. Probably, you know, the Brene Brown is who I've heard it from. Don't speak from a a wound, speak from the place of a scar. Well, obviously it was a raw time and I talked too long. I probably cried too much and much grace to all the people who sat there and listened to it. But I had some notes that I actually found today, (laughs) which um, maybe two years later might be a little bit easier to deliver. But again, I just want to kind of randomly share some things with you about my mom and again, bring this home at the end about what being an impact maker is about. But one of the first things I found in the stack of papers I went through today was the three pillars of successful aging. Now, these were her notes that she had taken from a class on something like successful aging. She actually enrolled in courses. They were free for people, senior citizens at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, where she used. And so every quarter she would take some sort of class. She took classes in Excel and the history of the town. And this was one on aging. And I thought her notes were both a reflection of her, but also how she lived her life. And the three pillars of successful aging from her notes were, number one, the absence of disease, and she lived a very healthy life, although we'll talk about some other issues in just a few minutes, Um, high physical and cognitive functioning. She walked every day with a friend or most days with a friend. She she worked out with a little weights. Uh, she took classes. She was always looking for ways to stay active. She'd always been a very active person and always looking for ways to stay engaged in her community. She read voraciously. She did daily devotions. Uh, she wrote cards and letters, which I'll share more about in a few moments as well but high physical and cognitive functioning. And then number three, maintaining engagement with life. Like as I said earlier, my mother was living her best life, uh, even during a global pandemic in the year 2020 at 83. And I feel like the last years of her life were some of the best of her life because she intentionally engaged with life. So that's it, folks. The three successful pillars of aging, absence of disease, high physical and cognitive functioning, maintaining successful engagement with life. She, her notes here say successful aging is dependent upon your choices and happy activities are essential, essential. Being a part of a social network of friends is one of the most effective predictions of longevity. And she lived that truly. She had relationships, both close and just contacts with people that she maintained relationships with. She was the class secretary for her class of 59, I believe it was. No, 50, 52 is when she graduated from high school. And even in their 80s, uh, class was getting smaller and smaller, but she organized annual reunions. Uh, She sent a newsletter. She was the point of contact for people to share deaths, births, everything. She was very involved with her high school friends. And every Friday, her and several of her high school buddies, who were still very close, went out to dinner, even until the global pandemic made it that they weren't able to do that. So I think those are lessons that I can really think about as I prepare for 2023, not just in terms of aging, but focusing on my choices and happy activities and being a part of a social network of friends. That's good life advice for us all. And so I thought I'd just start with some good advice from my mom that I came across a couple of years later that she brought into my life. So now I'll share with you, and again, hopefully this is 
something that you will enjoy listening to, maybe take some things away from. But I just thought, why not? It's my podcast. I want to share with you the person that made the most impact in my life. And what my thoughts on paper were that I wanted to share at her her funeral service, which I don't believe I successfully did. There is a video, but I have not watched it and I probably never will. But I'll just start here. I spent 56 years of my life learning from my mother. Of course, she taught me many things that you would expect, including how to talk, how to walk, and how to eventually grow up and be able to fend for myself. While she never talked much about her childhood or her life pre-Jeffrey and Jennifer, that's my brother and myself, with me, I know she grew up relatively poor and her family went through their share of hard times. Her father died when she was just two, leaving her mom with two small children in a world that didn't provide much support for families in their situation. As a result, mom, her older brother Jimmy, and their mom, Catherine, moved a lot, and mostly lived with relatives who were willing to allow them to share their homes. Many times over the years, we'd be driving through town or through Tasso, and she'd comment that she lived in a house here or there for some period of time. And when we would pass a farm out on Chicheta Valley Road, she'd tell me the story of how a man that she always knew as her daddy, Walter Bedwell, met her mom at church, took a liking to this young widow and with two small children, and walked several miles from there all the way to Tasso and back to court her for a period of time before asking her to marry him. Of course, once my grandparents did get married, things didn't get much easier, but she never forgot that someone would be willing to sacrifice so much love to love her mother and also to accept her and her brother as his own. Soon they added another brother, Melvin, to their family. Last March, my mom was asked to share a portion of her testimony during one of her services at her beloved Broad Street United Methodist Church. I remember her being so burdened by this request, not because she was nervous to speak in public. She regularly reads scriptures from the pulpit and serves as a lay leader in worship, but because she wanted to make sure that by sharing her story, it wasn't about her, but brought glory to God. And in the end, she did agree to share a bit of her personal journey, and thankfully, my brother Jeff attended the service and recorded her words on his phone to share with me. I listened to her words again last night. She started with the words, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. She shared that she was born and raised in a Christian home. Her daddy said a blessing at each meal, and they went to church. She loved Sunday school and loved to learn about Jesus. She accepted him as her Lord and Savior when she was just 16 and a senior in high school. She shared that she believed that her grandmother prayed my father, John, into her life because she thought she was worried that she was going to be an old maid because she wasn't yet married at 23. I believe she met my dad when she walked into one of the buildings across from the courthouse downtown, and she always said that she knew the moment when she saw him that they would be married, which they were when she was 24. My brother Jeff was born a couple of years later and me a couple of years after that. In her testimony, she shared that she started sharing bedtime stories with both of us shortly after I was born. We graduated from the baby stories to a Bible storybook that started with Genesis and went all the way through Revelation. Then when we read the Living Bible, the Good News Bible, and finally the King James Bible. By the time Jeff and I were 10 and 12, we'd read the Bible through at least three times. My mother was an impact maker because she grounded us in faith. That's how my eulogy started. I think it went off the rails after that because I didn't have more notes. (laughs) But I did find the day that she passed away, I walked through our house 
which is an old log home built by my dad's distant relatives. I think we're the, my brother and I are the fifth generation to have grown up in that house. It's been restored, uh, a lot of history there. But my mother wrote Bible verses on index cards. And she did that as part of her activities, volunteering at the church. She would send out mailing of the weekly newsletter. And she wrote Bible verses on cards and put those in the weekly newsletter for hundreds of people. But she also left them around the house. And so when I knew that I was going to be going to the hospital to hold her hand as she passed away, I walked through the house looking for maybe some of the Bible verses that might speak to me. And while there were some, I also found her devotion that she had looked at on November 12th, the last day that she was in her home. And I walked over to uh, my dad's desk, which had become her desk, and on the top of it was a devotion that she had given at her church on October in October of 2014, when she would have been 79 years old. And of course, in that frame of mind, where I knew that she would be no longer with us at the end of the day, to have this devotion on the top of the desk, which had not been there before. I'm sure she left it there for me to find. It was very both comforting and a window into her soul, again, my impact maker, as to what her life was about. And again, you've already probably gathered, my mother was a person of strong faith, so this portion that I'll read to you is full of that, and it was a devotion in her church. I look back and I think, you know, I'm a professional speaker for my career, and some people say that I do it well. But everyone in my family actually was a great speaker. My dad was a college professor in his last career before retirement. And even though he was a very quiet man, my brother and I would often hear from people who were his students in class that he was their favorite teacher and he was so fun and funny. I wish I'd attended one of his classes to actually see what that was like. But I've seen my mother speak several times in church, again, always very humble, but a great speaker. And she's taught uh, Sunday school classes for years and led and mentored many young people, including myself, in their faith journey. So you'll hear some of that in this devotion. And again, I'm just going to read portions of it because some of it are pieces of a story that is not mine to tell. But I'll start out with the way she started out. Psalm 84, 5 through 8. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose lives become roads you travel, the wind through lonesome valleys, come upon brooks, discover cool springs and pools brimming with rain. God traveled these roads, curve up the mountain, and at the last turn, Zion. God in full view. In some translations, the lonesome valleys are named Baca, Valley of Weeping. I, and again, this is my mother, have been through that valley, and surely most of you have as well. The title for this talk is, What do you do when you find yourself living a life you had not planned? My first simple answer is to look to Jesus and to claim the promises in his words, such as Philippians 16, being confident of this very thing that he hath begun a good work in you and will perform it until the day of Christ. In February 2011, my John Henry, which that was my mom's way of speaking, it was always my John Henry was my dad, her husband, my Jeff was my brother, my Jennifer was me. So in February 2011, my John Henry had some blood work done and went for his physical with Dr. Don Robinson on the 15th. We got a real shocker that day. His white blood cell count was 14.6, with the normal being 4 and 11. Dr. Robinson diagnosed him as having chronic lymphocytic leukemia, 
and he said he needed to see an oncologist ASAP. He also suggested that he see a cardiologist. John already had a pacemaker but hadn't seen a cardiologist in years, and he said he would do neither. To this point in my life, I did not even have a primary care doctor, did not take any medicines, and was a very healthy woman. She was 79 when she wrote this. My feet and ankles had begun to swell, and I was losing weight consistently without trying. Heart disease runs in my family, so I made an appointment with Dr. Joe Powers. They did blood work, and my white blood cell count was 23. Remember, normal is 4 to 11. I also received a diagnosis of possible CLL. Wow. Just two weeks before, I'd heard the same news about my husband. Incredible. Romans 5, 1 through 5. So now, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in his promises, we can have real peace with him because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. For because of that faith, he has brought us to this place of highest privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to actually becoming all that God has in mind for us. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us to learn and to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us to trust God more each time we use it until finally hope and faith are strong and steady. Then, when that happens, we are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens, and we all know that it is well. For we know how dearly God loves us, and we feel his warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. My faith, the prayers of our children and grands, this body of believers, her church, keep me uplifted and thinking each time that the doctors did blood work, it would come back normal. Well, that didn't happen. For the entire year of 2011, my white blood cell count never went below 19. In our Beth Moore studies, she encouraged us to write Bible verses. Remember I mentioned the Bible verses on the index cards? Beth Moore encouraged her to do that in a Bible study. So on my desk at work, in my car, for when I'm stopped at red lights, in various places throughout my home are various scriptures that help me practice the presence of Jesus. From Sarah Young's book, Jesus Calling, on June 30th, I was bid to yield to his spirit, not to worry about what is on the road ahead, to find security in knowing him, the one who died to set us free. Positive thinking is so important. It affects our entire outlook on life. Let me share a story from Mark Batterson's book, The Circle Maker. Over the last few decades, New York psychologist John Barr has conducted priming experiments on unsuspecting graduates. And one of these experiments involved a scrambled sentence test. The first test was sprinkled with rude words like disturb, bother, and intrude. The second test was sprinkled with polite words like respect, considerate, and yield. In both cases, the subjects thought that they were taking tests measuring intelligence. None of the subjects picked up on the word trend consciously, but it primed them subconsciously. After taking the five-minute test, students were asked to walk down the hall and talk to the person running the experiment about their next assignment. An actor was strategically engaged in conversation with the experimenter when the students would arrive. The goal was to see how long it would take for students to interrupt. Barr wanted to know if the subjects who were primed with polite words would take longer to interrupt the conversation than those primed with rude words. He suspected that the subconscious priming would have a slight effect, but the effect was profound in quantitative terms. The group primed with rude words interrupted on average after five minutes, but 82% of those primed with polite words never interrupted at all. 
Who knows how long they would have patiently and politely waited if the researchers hadn't given a test a 10-minute time limit. Our minds are subconsciously primed by everything that is happening all the time. It's a testament to the fact that our minds are fearfully and wonderfully made. It also testifies to the fact that we had better be good stewards of the things we allow into our visual and auditory. Everything we see and hear is priming us in a positive or negative way. Back to my John. My John's health was deteriorating rapidly. He had completely lost interest in the farm, which had been a security blanket all of his life. He sold his cattle to a neighbor and let him begin using the farm. This once highly intelligent man developed dementia, and I was getting people to stay with him during the day while I was at work. By the way, my mom retired from full-time work at age 82. <laughs> For me, after many tests, procedures, and biopsies, my firm diagnosis of marginal zone lymphoma, and by November it was determined I would need chemo. During the biopsy of my right lung, the lung collapsed, and they emergently entered me into the hospital. I was a basket case, telling them they didn't understand. My husband is very sick, and I have to go home to him. So my son Jeff went to be with John, and Jennifer came from Ohio to be in the hospital with me. I'm so sorry that my John, who had been a brilliant man, a wonderful teacher of accounting at Cleveland State Community College, had to become childlike in his illness. He had been my John Wayne. He was fearless and so strong. One time he single-handedly held four men captive for 45 minutes before the police arrived on our little country road. They were growing marijuana on our farm back in the woods in a secluded place. He'd been reporting their presence to the police all summer long, and finally, when he knew they were there, he blocked their way out and told a neighbor passing by to call police. My John had a pistol and a rifle. During that 45-minute interval, the guys started to rush him, and he shot at their feet. After a bit, they started to run away. He shot over their heads. And then he said, next time, a couple of you are going down. I'm laughing because I can hear my dad saying that. <laughs> so I never dreamed that I would outlive this giant of a man, though he was years older than me. His mother had abandoned him at age 12, and he was so deeply wounded that he never recovered. No amount of love I could give him or a wonderful son and daughter could heal that wound. But in his illness... Thank you, Jesus. My John was released from that darkness. Anne Voskamp, in her book, 1,000 Gifts, says, All new life comes out of the dark places, and hasn't it always been? Think about it. Genesis 1, Out of Darkness God Created. Lamentations 3, His mercies are new every morning. When Jeff came to the house to be with his dad, his dad accepted him with open arms, and our, our family experienced beauty instead of ashes. And though my John left this world in January 2012, I was given a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. The life I am living that is my wildest dreams I would not have imagined or planned. I am a cowgirl, a farmer. Chris Lowe has become my right hand. That's the guy my dad sold his cattle to. He left Volunteer Electric after 20 years of service and is farming full-time now with me. I do a written report each weekend about the farm and email it to Jeffrey and Jennifer. Jeff says I should write a book. Hollywood would produce it and Chris and I could become millionaires. Jennifer posted a picture of me on Facebook in the soybean field recently telling the world it was never too late to start something new and to take charge of your life. Look at my mom, who works full-time as the office manager for Cleveland Business Machines. This woman of faith has invested in cattle, hired a full-time farm manager, planted and sold tons of produce and soybeans. She has built her own farm empire since my father died. 
The Johnson Farm has been in the Johnson family for over 100 years. Our home is hand-hewn logs that were built by John's grandfather and his brothers for John's great-grandmother. Jeffrey and Jennifer are the fifth generation to live in our house. I haven't always lived the victorious life, but I have longed for it. And now in this last stage of my earthly life, I think I'm living it. For me, this is a time of abundance. My cup runneth over with blessings like a kid in a candy store. Every day is Christmas. With open hands and a grateful heart, I receive, rejoice, and stand amazed. To God be the glory. Thank you for indulging me and letting me read that devotion. It makes me obviously emotional and and very happy to know that, especially for the last seven years, eight years of my mother's life, seven years, she was living her best life. And I find it really funny, number one, that she shares the story about my dad. She always called him her John Wayne, the story about him with the trespassers. I believe as we grow older, we may embellish a bit. I believe there were three of them, not four, but it is a true story. And it did kind of encompass a lot of my life on the farm. But also the fact that she shared about her own positive outlook on some of the situations in her life that could have become negative. She beat cancer three times over the seven years, went into remission three times, and cancer was ultimately what took her life in 2020. But she lived a very victorious life. And again, as the impact maker and what can I learn from her life, you notice a strong foundation for her. It was her faith, her faith in God, and her love for her church and her church family. She volunteered at church regularly, but almost full-time in her last few years of life. She was a greeter for all three services at her church, took that very seriously. (laughs) She wanted to be at the front door when people came in, and if you were new, she knew it, and she took you under her wing to make sure you got connected, and she stayed in touch with you. That's an impact maker someone looking for people who are looking to be connected. She lived a life of service to others. She wrote cards and letters. I was joking this past weekend while I was at home for the holidays. We have cases of cards (laughs) she would buy in bulk. She was wonderful at sending just a quick note to people to let them know she was thinking about them or praying for them or to congratulate them on some feat or accomplishment in their life or to to be alongside them if they were in a time of need. And I'll share in a few minutes some of the cards that I had brought to my home uh, while I'm doing a little bit of clean out after her death, although there's still a lot to be done. But I also love that she shared that story about me telling her about her becoming the farm girl after my dad died. And in my most popular keynote that I gave for about seven or eight years, which maybe some of you have listened to before, I used to end that keynote with a story about my mother living her cowgirl dreams, about the fact that after my father died, we thought she wouldn't be able to stay in the house because it's out in the middle of nowhere, hence the trespassers that had to be held at gunpoint until the police came. (laughs) But also she had never been involved in the farming because my parents had a traditional relationship and my dad did all that and didn't ask her opinions sometimes much to her chagrin. But she successfully ran the farm, made it a place that went well beyond what my dad had done with it over the 80 years, 83 years it was in his life. Um, She planted crops, 
planting produce, bought more cattle, and lived a really successful dream that meant a lot to her and meant a lot to my brother and I as well. And we're grateful that she continued that and was able to stay in the house until she died. But I used to share that story about her as the ending to my keynote to remind people that it's never too late. You're never too old. You're never too inexperienced to step out in faith because that's what she had told me to do. when I told her I didn't think she would be able to run the farm. She told me she was going to step out and see if she could do it. And she did. And if she hadn't, I'm sure she would have been successful in some other way. But I shared that story as the closing to my keynote. And I actually spoke in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is about 30 miles from my home in Cleveland. And I don't remember what year it was, but obviously a few years before she died. And my mother had never heard me speak. And I'd never told her that I was sharing that story as part of my keynote. And it touched so many people's lives. And so many people would come up to me afterwards and share their own stories of their parents and the impact that they'd had on them or the fact that uh, they grew up on a farm uh, and they really enjoyed the story. But I looked forward to her seeing me speak. You always want your parents to be proud of you. And also sharing that story with her in the room. And I did. And she sat there and she smiled through it. And afterwards, at the end, typically after speaking, there's usually a few people that come up and stand in line and they want to ask a question or hopefully tell you that you did a good job. Usually nobody stands in lines and tell you that they didn't like it. They wait for the anonymous feedback to tell you that. But at the end of this talk in Chattanooga with my mother in the audience, no one came up to talk to me at the end, which I was kind of uh, both amused and, and shocked, I guess. Probably too strong a word. But I looked over and there was a line of people to see my mother, which was interesting. And I walked over. And there was a woman who was speaking to my mother, holding her hands with tears in her eyes. And again, this was about 30 miles from where she lived. And the woman turned and looked at me and she said, I want you to know that your mother changed my life. What? The original impact maker <laughs> making an impact on random human resources people in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And she shared with me how my mother had met her in a Bible study that uh, she had joined with another friend where she was going through a very difficult time in her life, a divorce and not knowing what she was going to do. My mother had taken her under her wing, sent her a Bible, a devotion book, some cards. And while they hadn't seen each other in a few years, it just so happened she showed up that day and she wanted to tell me that my mother had changed her life. And that described my mother to a T. And again, we're talking about impact makers here. Someone who cares, who reaches out, who provides something, not expecting something in return. So I'm grateful for my mom and what she did for others. And again, if you'll indulge me, I had brought a few cards with me just to show you a little bit about, and again, I'm, I'm sharing this with you. I hope if you're still listening that you're enjoying it, but I want to share it under the, the uh, idea of what, what it means to impact other people. So I'll just read a few cards that are, she, 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 my mother, if she had done the five love languages, I'm sure would have been words of affirmation and she never got enough of them. Not from me, not from her family and her situation growing up, but because she gave so much to others, especially later in life, many people sent her cards and letters back and she saved them all. And while I haven't gone through all of them, I did go through a few and I saved a few. And here's one from her pastor's wife. 
a card that says you are the most wonderful blessing. Thank you. There just aren't enough words to express what you, your constant care, encouragement, prayers, phone calls, friendship, mentoring, and house cleaning. I didn't know she cleaned their house have meant to me and to read. I don't know too many people that literally glow with the joy of the Lord, but you do. And I'm grateful to get to experience it. I love you dearly. I thought that was sweet. She really loved her pastors and their wives and tried to serve them as she felt they served her. Here's another one. If she, I mentioned earlier that she kept her high school class from 1952 involved all the way until her death. I hope they're still involved, but this was from a high school classmate. Dear Peggy, I talked with Barbara this week and she said you were having some health problems. I know you are a very private person, but I wanted you to know I was concerned for you and have been praying that everything will go well for you. If I can do anything, please let me know. I'm not worth much, but I would do anything if I could. You must take care of yourself. What would we? What would our class do without you? This sounds selfish, but you have made the class what it is today, pretty special. I have a closeness that would never have been possible without your influence. Thank you so much. Take care and remember, I love you, Bobby. Take some tips from that, impact makers. I'm t- I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to learn from my mother's example that she lived for me all my life. Here's an, a note, a card from a cousin that um, she had helped throughout her life, a cousin of mine, a, cousin, a, a distant cousin, I guess, of hers. Dear Peggy Joyce, I shall always be grateful for all the sweet memories we made together in the years ago, a time when you needed my help with your children, but little did you know that I needed you and your help as well. What a wonderful example of a wife, mother you were to me during my stay in your home at the young age of 14. So many seeds were sown into my heart through you, and I, in turn, have sown those seeds into not only my own children, but I would say hundreds of young women's hearts throughout the same incredible example you set for me. Peggy, you will always be cherished memory, and oh, how I thank God for you. We will continue to lift you up into our Lord Jesus in prayer. I love you. Rita. Sowing seeds into people. Speaking of young people, this is a wonderful card from one of her pastor's young sons who probably was six or seven. It's written in little boy handwriting. And how wonderful that parents, there were many notes from this young man to my mother, handwritten notes. How wonderful parents are that teach their kids to write notes and to be thankful. Dear Miss Peggy, it makes me feel important and loved when you travel to a baseball game. Thank you for risking an afternoon in Coronaville. So this was in 2020. We fought until we earned our way to the championship. Thank you, Thomas. My mother would go see her pastor's son play baseball to make him feel special. And he did. And he let her know. Here's another card again from a, her, I call her her surrogate daughter, a woman who is basically my age. Of course, I lived six hours away. But this woman, her name was Cheryl, adopted my mother as her own. And my mother saw Cheryl as a friend. <laughs> she was 80-something. Cheryl was in her 40s and 50s during throughout their friendship. But Cheryl treated her like a best friend. And my mother always told me that she wanted to, she didn't want to, She might be old, but she didn't want to act old. And one of the ways she stayed younger was making sure she maintained relationships with younger people. 
So Cheryl took her to places that she'd never been, took her on trips, made her, helped her stay in nice hotels, gave her a lot of things that I could never give. But Cheryl loved her as her friend, even though she was her adoptive mother. So this was just a sweet card from Cheryl. Dearest sweet Peggy, thank you so much for my card that was sending a hug my way. Again, my mother's always sending cards. You are a best friend forever. Thank you for being with me in the good and the bad, unconditionally, whether happy or sad. I know some of these storms are temporary and shall pass too. I look forward to future Peggy and Cheryl adventures to come, many more memories to create. I love you so much. Keep me in your prayers. You are my sunshine. That's a good tip for us impact makers and best in younger people. And I'll read just a couple more to you again. Thank you for indulging me in this, but I, I hope you're taking from this what I am, what my mother's example has put into me, and I hope I'm sharing some with you. This one is special because it's from a friend of her niece, so not even someone that she really knew. And it's November 23rd, 2020, when my mother was actually in the hospital, and I did read it to her shortly before her passing. Dear Peggy, my name is Nancy, and I am a close personal friend of Rita. Although we've never met, I feel like I know you. Rita has shared so much about you and the role you played in her life since she was in young. That was Rita that I read a card from earlier. I've heard about the way you showed her order and your homemaking abilities and how much you imparted to Rita then when she spent time with you. I've even had your potato soup, which was delicious. <laughs> My mother loved her potato soup recipe. So when I heard you were sick, I wanted to reach out and let you know who I was and that I am praying for you often, my friend, and to let you know that your life that has impacted my friend has also impacted me and all the other women of our church who know her. Peggy, I will continue to pray for your healing and peace through this difficult time. What a wonderful thing to do to send a card to someone to let them know how they've indirectly impacted you. And I'll just read a couple more. I had more here, but I think I'll finish with these last two. This is from a friend at church. Dear Peggy, we're studying about Timothy and sending notes to those who have ministered to us. You are that person to me. What you have done for me, you will never know. You are what I try to live up to as a witness of my faith. Thank you for the influence you've had on my life and on my family. And then finally, this is from her eye doctor, y'all her eye doctor, <laughs> who also went to her church. She sent this to my brother and I after my mother passed away. Dear Jennifer and Jeff, today is your mother's celebration of life and what a life to celebrate. I'm sorry that I would not be able to attend in person because of COVID, but what a strange time. But you know that your mom was in my prayers and I have witnessed or I have continued to pray for you and your families. Your mom truly was a pillar of faith for me. Her smile and her hugs would heal so very much. She saw through my mask many times. I am so thankful to have known her as a friend, as a patient, and as a fellow Christian. My life was blessed by her presence and her faith in the Lord. So many seeds she planted. Thank you for sharing her with me. My mother's passed away two years ago. But there are people, when I see them, who still tell me about the impact that she made on her life, on their lives, and many people that I will never hear from that she impacted. 
So I think I want you to take away from today. And again, thank you if you've come this far. Just a little different episode to start out the year. We'll get back to leadership content next week. (laughs) This is leadership content. I finished out what was supposed to be my grand eulogy for my mother. I think I did cover this. That when I think of her, I'll always think of the ways in which she committed to and served to God, to her marriage, and to her kids, my brother and I, to her friends, and to her church. She taught Sunday school. She was a Bible study leader. She was a committee member on every committee they had, I'm sure, at some point. She chaired many committees. She was a worship leader and a greeter. To be an impact maker, we need foundations in our life. What are those foundations for you? If you say it's friends, family, faith, which have been what mine have been in the past, are there visible fruits of that? I know that as I reflect on 2022 and I look into 2023, and if you listen to a couple of episodes earlier than this, if mine are faith, family, friends, I have some work to do. I have had the best example of an impact maker in my life. And I will always think of the ways in which she invested and gave. She prayed every morning for opportunities to encourage others. She looked for opportunities to reach into other people's lives. She gave of her time and so much of her money, even though she didn't have much, to help others, to encourage others, to lift others up. I want to do more of that in 2022. I haven't been the best example of that for my son. Who knows what he would say about me at my eulogy someday. (laughs) But I closed out, I hope, I think, my eulogy of my mother's with a song that reminded me of her. And I think it's a good one for me to leave you with as someone who's listening to a podcast called Impact Makers. And I said, years ago, I randomly used a song sung by Nicole Nordeman in a video montage I created sharing some pictures from my life. It was called Legacy. And I remember that it brought me to tears every time I listened to the words, which include, I want to leave a legacy. How will they remember me? Did I choose to love? Did I point to you enough to make a mark on things? I want to leave an offering, a child of mercy and grace who blessed your name unapologetically and to leave that kind of legacy. Not well-traveled, not well-read, not well-to-do or well-bred. Just want to hear instead, well done, good and faithful one. Since that time, I've thought a lot about legacy, and in my work over the last few years, I've begun to work with leaders on how they can make an impact at work and in life. I even have a podcast, I mean, who doesn't, called Impact Makers. I spend a lot of my time encouraging people to live in such a way that their name is the first to come to mind when someone is asked, and who has made an impact on your life. Of course, if you had asked me who's been an impact maker in my own life, I would have said my mother. But her legacy is so much more than the impact that she has had on my life or my brother's life. She believed that God can use an ordinary person like her to influence others to do his work and for the kingdom. And just like she said, she believes that our prayers never die. Her legacy will always be with us and only continue to grow. I wish that for you, my friend. Thank you for being a part of my community of impact makers. I want to help you magnify that impact and take your own lessons into 2023 and beyond from the people who have impacted your life. 
about how you can create more impact in the lives of those you lead and serve. I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll see you here again next week on the Impact Makers Podcast. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 